Hey, Illinois and Missouri, we're open. We're outside again. Are we? I'm not. I'm, not. I'm well, very indoorsy. <laughs> hey, that's our guest, Tom O'Keefe. Yes. Should, should yes. I shut up? Should I talk to him? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> we'll talk to our guest, Tom O'Keefe, and talk about the state of concerts in the world right now. Then Lynn saw the high note. We both saw Vast of Night. I saw Screened Out. We'll talk about Tom's podcast, Real Spoilers. And then on DVD, The Invisible Man and the Robbie Robertson and the story of the band. We'll talk about HBO Max, TV spinoffs, Space Force, Arts United STL, the Muni, and what's going on in the arts in St. Louis. Welcome, Tom O'Keefe. He is our special guest, and he has a lot to say because he is the manager of the family arena. In my in my day job, yes. In yeah, that. among other things. Yeah, you have, like Carl, you have multiple oh, no, uh, outlets. If, if it wasn't for this, he would basically be at the family arena and then doing movies on podcasting. But other than that, since it's, it, it is, we're, what is it, Tom? We're in unprecedented times. Yes. I miss precedents. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So uh, I work at the family arena, which is uh, owned and operated by St. Charles County. So I'm technically a government bureaucrat and they're utilizing us in different capacities at the moment. So we are assisting with the management of the St. Louis regional dignified transfer center, which is, to help up in Earth City. Up in Earth, yeah, which helps with uh, if there's any uh, overflow in the deceased. So uh, we've all been chipping in over there. So it's, but you know what? Here's the deal: we still get to we still get to work. So we yes. will take it. Very, You're not furloughed. No. So I mean, you know, unfortunate that this is something that's needed, but it's but we are grateful that we are still on the clock, especially considering working in the concert industry. As we all know, there ain't one. So. Right. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's nice to have an employer, unlike a lot of people that work in the concert industry, that it can at least maybe repurpose us in the, in the short term to, uh, keep us gainfully employed. So we are very grateful for that. So my question is, uh, are there a lot of people, you know, a lot of people in the concert business and you probably have been talking mm -hmm. to them Yeah. and most of them have been furloughed because there's nothing for there's them nothing, to do. Literally there's nothing to do right now. Yeah. And the artists are paranoid as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about drive-in style concerts, which are mm -hmm. very difficult to figure out the economics on. Yes. Uh, it Just because, you know, you, you're going to a car load model. Are you charging per person? Are you charging per car? If you're charging per car, what stops people from cramming six people into a car, which defeats the purpose of what you're doing. If you want to limit how many people are in a car, how do you enforce that? And then how much right do you have to enforce that? And especially when you see so many people getting up on their hind legs about whether or not they're going to wear a mask or you can't stop me from licking a doorknob. This is America. And so <laughs> like it, you know, like it, it, it gets difficult to figure out how to structure them. And then also, you know, the artists are used to making a certain amount of money and that's based on capacities. And if yeah. you're doing carload stuff, your capacities are greatly diminished. So it's, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts uh, in trying to get something like this off the ground. And then on top of it, most artists are consists of a band, right? Which are multiple people. And, uh, and unless you're the monkeys, you don't live in a house together. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that you add that wrinkle to the situation. So I, I know people have also talked about trying to do things with comedians because that's like one person, one, on, guy. one person on stage, but on, 
but the but then the problem you have with that is stand-up comics they live and die on the laughter when if yes. everybody's inside of their car you're not going to get that feedback and so they're going to tell a joke that might be great but they're going to get no laughter and that feels like failing and how do you so how do you how how do you there you exactly go. yeah well that reminds me of something that i want to bring up with you uh the new Patton oswald comedy special i was lamenting to lynn that i didn't want to watch it because i saw it at your venue right, right. i saw i it's the same show Sure. I mean, that's how comedians do it. They, they take they a thing out. It. They, they take it, they workshop it at the clubs. And then when it gets good enough, they take it out to the theaters and they, they tour on it for a year. And then, and then, you know, and then they, they film it and then they start all over again. So, but, but the thing was, he was still workshopping his Denny's joke. And at the end, he's like, I don't know how to end this damn thing, but he had figured it out by the time they filmed the special. And it's a, it's a good ending. I think there was a, I think there was a better joke that he could have ended with. Right. But what if I didn't know that he was working on the ending, I would have been happy with it. Right. Yeah. I um I haven't seen his special yet, so we already I, saw it. Well, okay. <laughs> is is it that similar? Like it's I, it's almost exactly the same. Gotcha. He, I know. He tells a story about it. the he tells a story about the contractor and the wallpaper guy and the and Denny the, story. I know the breakfast cereal ones in there because I've seen clips of it online. Right, yeah. uh, and I know Mark Marin. I saw him when he came through Helium, and he that was real close to when his right. I mean, that was maybe just a month or so before he filmed that special. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was. Well, last time Louis Black was here, I saw him. I'm like, I saw this already. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the thing that's rough when they do it the other way. Because I know that like um, when Steve Martin and Martin Short came through town, mm -hmm. I saw him the first time they came through, and it was great. Christmas and time, right? Uh, yeah that's yeah i think it was right before thanksgiving maybe yeah um and then when they came through again they had dropped that hbo special and from what i understand they had not updated the act and so like the the live show was basically you know that that uh, not hbo the netflix special netflix, it was netflix but the net the netflix special was pared down like the live show is about 90 minutes maybe an hour 40 and then the special was about 60 but yeah, they took out some of the musical stuff i think and that would make sense martin bing, 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 bing. yeah when they would because honestly i when i went to see it i had no idea what i was going to see i thought it was going to be um i thought it was going to be martin short coming out for 30 40 minutes doing his stuff and i then, did too and then steve martin would come out and play banjo and so when you got a flat out straight up comedy show like, honestly, like, I was beside myself because I've never – Steve Martin's, like, one of, like, the classic all-time comedians that I had never seen live. And so I was basically holding my nose and going, well, he's just going to play banjo, but at least I will be able to say I've seen Steve Martin. And uh, and so when we got what we got, I was, it was, I was it's, very – It was really well done. It was very well done. I was really super happy with it. So Well, I saw him for in, on his first national tour because I'm older than you guys. <laughs> um, at was that Keel, Wild and Crazy Guy or Let's Get not, Small? Uh, let's Get Small. Um, it was um, 77. I stood in line to get my tickets at Peaches. Nice. The one on Hampton? Mm -hmm, the nice. one on Hampton. And uh, we were at the Keel Opera House. Okay. Which is the Stiefel now. Right. Yeah. And oh, his was it the opening. Opera House or the auditorium. No, his uh, the oh, opera. Oh, it was House. a small venue. Yeah, it was small, and it was sold out. Obviously, his sure. opening act was John Sebastian, <laughs> who got pissed off when people asked him to play the Welcome Back Cotter song. 
That but was they, a hit record, though. He should. I mean, that charted. That was not right. You know, you know he was in That's a real how people pissy. Knew him then. Yeah, he was in a real pissy mood. He was really not good. So Steve Martin does this whole act, which is so funny, and it was all the you know funny bits like. There's a different word for everything in France. Yeah. You know? And Chapeau. And, so, and then, now, and then did he John took Sebastian do Love and Spoonful stuff at least? Yeah, he did. Okay. He okay, did. Right, right. At Daydream and all I'm that. only and doing then, new stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man, they do that sometimes. Yeah. 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 You know that too, Tom. Yes, I do. And Steve Martin had the arrow, you know, in his yeah. head, and he had the camera, and he wanted to take a picture of an asshole, you know, and, and all that. And so then. He got so huge with SNL, Wild and Crazy Guys. The next time he came to St. Louis, it was in the Checkerdome. Yeah. yeah. And, and I that's saw... That's why he stopped touring. Yeah, because he yeah. hated it. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw him in the Checkerdome, and it was almost the whole entire album thing from before. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and I was yeah, like... But there, the, the difference between... 6,000 people and 19,000 people. Right. He, he's making a lot of money and was putting it all up. Right. Show. Right. <laughs> Guys you know, in the audience were dressed up as the Fest Trunk Brothers and they were doing, you know, that yeah. in the aisles and everybody had balloons on their heads. And yeah, I mean, he says that that's one of the things he couldn't stand is like, like the crowd. I mean, it was like they were saying the jokes along with them, which some of that's his own fault, but, but that it was just, it, it got to be so massive. He, I don't know if you ever read his book, Born Standing Up. Yeah, which is, Born I Standing it, Up. Which is amazing. Like, mm -hmm. so good. One of the best books on stand-up I've ever read. Um, but yeah, he talks a lot about how, how frustrating that was and why he stopped doing it. And, you know, that's always been one of the biggest uh, challenges for comedian versus like a band, right? Like, like going back to John Sebastian. If you write one hit song, if you write one great song, people want to, want to hear that song every show you do for yes. the rest of your life. But if you write one great joke, they're like, that's really funny. Now tell me another one and don't ever uh -huh. say that again. And, <laughs> Good point. And so it's, it, you know, like there's like, I remember uh, I've seen Bob Newhart live a couple times and I've always been frustrated with his shows because he's up there like telling jokes like joke jokes like jokes from a joke book like a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar uh, and he doesn't do any of the phone calls anymore. he doesn't do the phone thing anymore no and uh, the and then i think the last time i saw him he did one phone call at the very end and i get he doesn't want to write a bunch of new ones but like from my vantage point i'm like to see bob newhart do do you know lincoln's gettysburg address or uh -huh. you know the the submarine porch door company or whatever it was technically called. Like, I, I don't care that I've already heard it. Right. Like I would, I, like I was prepared to put down cash in the barrel head to hear him do it live. But well, that's what Jerry did. Jerry said the special I'm telling you for the last time. He said, right. Hey, you guys want to hear these? I'll do them for you one more time, but that's all it's going to be. Yeah. And at least, you know, going in, cause it, I will say like, you know, it, it is always uh, disappointing when you see, a comedian who you saw their special and you love them and then you go see them and it's the special again. Right. <laughs> You're just like, well, wait a second. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of a rip and you, off. And you paid good money. Absolutely. I think Chris, I, I, when Chris Tucker came through the time before last, I think I saw people complaining about that. They were like, this is all old stuff. Like what up? Well, uh, one of our friends that we were talking about off the air said that there was a possible, speaking of stand up, there was a possibility that someone that we all know and love 
from Saturday Night Live was going to do a stand-up tour that was going to be at the big houses, and Corona killed that. And you probably heard that too, Tom. I have not heard that. So no. is that was that what Sandler? No, bigger, bigger. Oh, Eddie Murphy. Because yep. that that Murphy tour has been rumored for a while. Yeah. Well, it was close to happening, and so it didn't. That's a shame because I've never seen him live, and I I was no. fortunate enough that when I was a a small child, I was <laughs> I was odd. I'm an odd adult too, but uh, I was really into old time radio, and so when they reopened the Fox locally as a kid, like my my mom bought season tickets because I wanted to go to see the comedians, and she's like, "Well, I'll buy the tickets, but you got to go see everybody." So okay, I, yeah, totally. I was like, "Yeah, don't okay." Well, I don't care if I have to go see Bob Hope if I can see Eddie Murphy, <laughs> right? But it was like so, but. It was like I would see Bob Hope, but I would also see Shields and Yarnell. Oh, right? but so that's cool. I mean, now. Now yeah. it's cool. It wasn't when you were 12. And at the time, I was like, Shield. yeah, it's weird to think that there was a point in American pop culture where, like, mimes could play the fox. Like, that yes, was big but 5,000 people would go see the mimes. They had a TV show. They put mimes. Yeah, it was on it did. It was like yeah. a summer. Wasn't it a summer special? Yeah. When they was, had summer specials. Yes. Like, summer Replacement shows. Right. Yeah. They, they, they did a lot of those variety. I think that that's, is that how Tony Orlando and Dawn started maybe? Yes. And yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, the Pink Ladies and Jeff. Pink Lady and Jeff. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> oh, but I, so Jeff I've, Altman loves that story. So I've seen like all, I, I mean, I've seen Jerry Lewis at do his nightclub act. I've seen Alan King. I've seen Bill Cosby before it was weird. I saw Joan Rivers. I saw Red Skelton. Um, Victor Borgia. I, like, oh, I've, that would have been awesome. Yeah, like I've I've seen I've seen pretty much any legendary comedian that was alive while I was alive, and so I like I said been very fortunate. So I saw Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. Probably, so, and you were probably too young to see that show. Uh, I was like probably fourteen. So oh, so it right wasn't around there. It was a couple awkward moments. I remember. I now I saw Joan Rivers when I was way too young to see Joan Rivers, and so I remember sitting there for a good, the lion's share of the show, not really understanding what was being said until afterwards. Uh, Ed, I, you won't sleep with me. Until afterwards, I asked my mom, like, what's a gynecologist? And then it all <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> good job. Yes. Nice job, Mrs. O'Keefe. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> all right. Um, thank all right. you for filling us in on all this stuff. Lynn, let's talk about some movies that uh, – came out this week i did not see the high note what's that about oh dear lord i'm glad you two are on because you know the music business not from oh that's the that's the uh tracy ellis ross movie yes okay okay so so i'm watching this it's uh tracy ellis ross playing channeling her mother really mm -hmm. she's Which playing is... this diva mm -hmm. that is one of the greatest selling uh, superstars of all time, but she's on the decline after 40. And uh, that, uh, let me stop you for a second there. She says a line in the movie that we argued about all weekend with my friends and I. She's wrong. Uh, she says only two women over 40 have ever gotten a number one song, which is wrong. It is now seven and two women of color. Okay. All right. Well, so I knew you would know. I knew you would know. Well, she says that, and 
she has fabulous clothes and Think about it, Tom. Think about her, it. her name is grace davis and she's all over la with all these billboards and she's promoting a live album uh-huh and she goes to a record label. They have a meeting with those condescending suits. And uh, she wants to do a new album. And they're all looking at each other like, oh. And this other, this other guy uh, wants her to think about a Vegas residency, which Ice Cube, her manager, is pushing. Dakota Johnson plays her assistant. So she's shown running, you know, getting uh, dry cleaning. Like I don't like Dakota Johnson. I think she's so bland. I like she her. Was, I think she's funny. She but was okay in uh, Falcon. Right. And she's actually decent here, but the part is so ridiculous. Her dad is Bill Pullman, who is a really cool DJ out in Catalina <laughs> Island. And they have this vast record collection. And she was raised on all the singer-songwriters and great bands of the 60s and 70s and 80s and so she has this encyclopedic knowledge of music and Dakota Johnson wants to be a producer so she works it out she meets cute Kelvin Harrison Jr and to me he is the best thing in this movie but he tends to be if you've seen waves and if you saw it only comes at night he's going to be huge star he is a really good singer that she takes under her wing and tells him she's a producer and she's going to produce him and all this but there's all these little white lies and there's all this stuff and then in the third act there is this mind-blowing reveal that ties up the whole movie and you just shake your head (laughs) oh my god so i don't know why People in the music business can't make a movie that feels authentic. It doesn't feel real. It just feels really lifetimey and slick. And I just, the only thing is it does have good music. I will give it that. Can she sing? Because she's not known for being a singer. Yeah, she can sing. And she I has know her this- mom's Diana Ross, but that shouldn't, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. I know. And, uh, she's there's a there's some decent supporting cast people and bill pullman's doing this gravelly voice i don't know if he's affecting it because he's this cool dj at catalina <laughs> island yeah. or or if he really has now this really raspy voice kind of like how jeff daniels all of a sudden like yes he had that shift where it like after well it's really not the, true. the newsroom when he was like a he when he was like he was like responsible and yeah. other before that dumb and dumber. Ooh. Yeah. You know what? I'm sorry. I said the wrong name. Not Jeff Daniels. Um, God dang it. The big Lebowski guy. Oh, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Bridges. He's changed his voice. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like all of a sudden. And it was ever since that, that country music one, like he got crazy this, heart. Yeah. He got this weird, like mumbly mush mouth <laughs> thing. He, right. did, he did it in that and he did it in true grit. And then it yes. just never went away. He did it in Hell or High Water. Yeah. Yes. He does it in everything now. All right. So, so, Tom, can you name the seven or some of them, some some of the seven women over 40 who've had number one billboard hits? Oh, man. Uh, Two two women of color. So, I'm thinking Mariah Carey. She's the last one. She just did. And that was after, uh, she's 49 now, but she just did All I Want for Christmas Was You was number one in January. Oh, I would have thought some of those later hits from her, she'd have been no, no, older than she 40. No, no, she wasn't 40 yet. She's 49 I thought, yeah. now. Gotcha, I thought but, she would have. But that's how. All right, go ahead. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I would assume Diana Ross. No. Really? Because she yeah. had some 
she did have hits in the 80s, but they weren't. Uh, didn't go to number one. Well, and she wasn't 40 yet. Gotcha. She's still a baby. Wow, she wasn't 40 in the 80s? Oh, no, because, you know, she was a teenager. Like, I'm coming up? Yeah. Coming right. Up. Like, that's, yeah. I mean, I believe you. I'm just surprised by it. Um, right. Uh, uh, Madonna? Yes, Madonna Music. She was 40. Share, believe. Okay. I was just going to say that. Tina uh, Turner? Tina Turner is one yeah. of the women of color. Aretha is one of the women of color. Bette Midler, Wind Beneath My Wings. And this one surprises everyone and no one gets it. Sia is 40. Oh, how about that? Wow, I would have never thought that. But but yeah, but uh, Cheap Thrills, she happened like she was like, she had just turned 40. So <laughs> Good for her. Exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, now, see, now I have to look up Diana Ross because... You know, I, that would make sense. What, Diana Ross is only 76. Goldie Hawn is 74. I know, but Diana Ross is 76. So in the 80s. Because <laughs> <80s, laughs> uh, Private Benjamin's having its 40th anniversary. Right. Anyway, but getting back to Diana Ross, the movie is just, I mean, it has really cool shots of L.A. And there's this cameo by Eddie Izzard. She was 39 <laughs> with her last number one hit. So cool. Okay. Oh, Eddie like is Eddie Izzard has this really good cameo for a couple minutes, and you're like, "That's it." They squander Eddie Izzard. <laughs> is he, is he in drag or is he Eddie? No, he's he's a, like he's some big hotshot star. Okay. Well, and he's of- and he's in a spa in his bathrobe when he gives her career. He gives Dakota Johnson career advice. <laughs> but it's just but he's really good in it huh he's very good in it. it's a very good scene and he talks about how uh you know you're at your fourth wedding anniversary but you're um and not your fourth wedding you're at your fourth wedding but you're thinking about everything you got to do for your career and blah 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 and it's all about sacrificing a personal life for a professional life well yeah. speaking of djs uh, Vast of Night is now on Amazon streaming, and Lynn, you said it was Christopher Nolan-esque. I found it more Spielberg or J.J. Uh, Abrams-esque. I didn't say, I said people, before I watched it, I said people are referring to the director as a young Christopher Nolan. Okay. I didn't, and this is before I saw it, but I will agree, I thought it was like an old-timey episode of Twilight Zone, and I really loved it. Well, they, they, they package it as it's a show from, with a Rod Serling imitator and everything at the beginning of the story. It takes place in the early, let's say, 1957. Early 19, okay, well then, late 50s, I was going to say late 50s, early 60s, but, and it's, uh, it's framed around a fake television show. So every once in a while, it'll switch to black and white and go on the uh, four by three. Four three, yeah. Yeah, and so it's so it's it, that's a little jarring, especially. And then the screen goes black sometimes. It's shot very uh, low budget, like, but it's not low budget because it's Amazon and they paid for. It. They filmed it in Texas. It takes place in New Mexico, as Lynn said, nineteen fifty-seven, and a radio DJ is in town and he, but he wants to get out, and she even she even says. Oh, you change your voice for the radio. <laughs> but, well, that was when he's running around, Tom, with a reel-to-reel, reel-to-reel, yes, machine, 
and it's so i just because maybe it's because that's what i grew up on right and and everything and it just reminded me that but it also reminded me of a radio play it's it's PG could be very easily a, a radio play if it well, they didn't thought have about, all those cool shots they thought about filming it as a play it's a uh, jake horowitz plays the male lead and then sierra mccormick who most people know sierra mccormick she came to being as uh, she was on supernatural but she was also like how do are you smarter than a fifth grader like she was like a breakout star of that and then she went into acting so she's I, been she was like uh i don't i know supernatural is really popular but i'm not a cw 14 year old girl <laughs> right well what uh, what i liked about this and you have to back check it is low budget it debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival last year. It was runner-up to the Audience Award, mm-hmm. or the People's Choice Award, and Amazon bought it. Yes, and also then. she was on Ant Farm, which Disney Plus announced that they're going to re, uh, they're going to start airing those episodes because evidently there was a clamoring for Ant Farm. For well, this dir- director is named um, Anderson Anderson Andrew Andrew P- Pat- Patterson. Patterson. Andrew Patterson and his cred, he's an Oklahoma boy and he shot promotional videos for the Oklahoma city thunder. So okay. he's, so he's got that camera technique thing. He does unusual things with camera. What I liked about this, it's not so much the story cause it's a simple sci-fi story. It's that fifties paranoia about UFOs and the Russians. And I know it's the, the Soviets. What do you I think know. that's, what do you think's in the sky? It's the Soviets 100%. <laughs> I know. And so it's, it, 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 it taps into that. It taps well, into that fifties paranoia. Well, there's but also the, the racism sh- part. There's, yes. there's, it, it's it's cold war it's racism it's small town the entire town is at a basketball game with their neighborhood rivals and it's it's very i can i can see this happening in new mexico in 1957 oh yeah and the switchboard operator like my mom started out as a switchboard operator in one of her part-time jobs so yeah. you know doing that in the town so then the phones start acting hinky and then the radio station the am signal which of course, you notice they got the station call letters wrong because they got W-O-T-W and it's, it's West. Yes, so it should K. be K. But all, also, he's, he's, got, he's got the microphone um, here the whole time. So he's talking he's talking because he's on the phone, but he's talking here and he's trying to listen. So he doesn't have a microphone anywhere near where he's supposed to be. But it's fun because it's the early days when like radio DJs were like, woo, big deal. And uh, they, uh, and then this girl, she's just real, you know, she's just this 16 year old girl, but she's really into techie stuff in the future. She looks really, really young, but she's 22 years old. She plays a child really well. She can do this for a while. Yeah, so she's 16. Don't make it weird, man. Well, no, (laughs) she's she's 22. She's 22, so it's okay. But no, and she's, she's talking about popular mechanics, about stuff she read about the future, oh, and they're talking. They're all both techie nerds, and it's just—I was so blown away by it because I guess I didn't know what to expect. Well, I thought the writing was really smart. There, they basically talked about cell phones, and they talked about uh, Hyperloop, and they talked about all these things that were pipe dreams in the '50s. And they said that here's how you're going to travel: you're going to get on a, a hyperspeed train. In an hour, you'll be from New York to San Francisco. And, well, that's a pipe dream. But then they also said, like, the Hyperloop was a thing, and it's going to happen by 1974. 
and everyone will be traveling to it by uh, the year 2000. And then she, she's talking about what cell phones actually are now, but she, the way she's, it's like how someone in 1957 would describe an iPhone because yeah. they, they had no idea what it would be. And it's, it's really written, written very well. I yeah. do say when they meet with a shut in, it slows down a lot. Yeah, it does. But it's, it that's does. mostly it's, exposition. And that the problem with that scene, and it's only 89 minutes long. The problem with that scene is you know how the movie's going to end immediately. Yeah. Which, you do. which is it's, unfortunate. Yeah. Which Kent said that in his, he said, he goes, because I was saying how much I loved it. And he goes, well, I just thought that predictable ending. It is predictable, but it's just told but, so And well. they foreshadow. And I do like Andrew Patterson's use of a moving fluid camera. He oh. goes through that town and it's, it's really well done. It's, it's, you know it's not, but it seems like it's tracked as one shot. And it's really well done for something that they made. It won, it won an audience award at Slamdance in Utah. Right, right. So I think it's, uh, uh, this guy shows great promise. He has really good style rhythms and the tone. Like he, he presents this eerie tone, like it's a tiny town and they're just showing the street lights. you know, it's after dark, but you get this sense of eeriness mm -hmm. that something, something, something's gonna happen that night. What's gonna happen? And, and, and it does. Uh, it's written by James Montague and Craig W. Sanger. Um, I don't know anything about those guys, but the first half of the script is really strong, then it drags, but it's a predictable ending because that's how it has to be. They've been setting you up for this the entire time, so it's not predictable. It's just, that's just how it was going to end up the whole time. Right. Those screenwriters got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for this movie as Best First Feature Screenplay. So okay, they're so new. This so wasn't eligible new. for anything anyway. Because if it was nominated for Independent Spirit last year, then it's really un unfortunate they are, that they're releasing it now. They should have released it last uh, December. Well, you know. That's not how Amazon works. <laughs> but I do think it's a bright spot right now because it just really, it made, me, it made me happy about the possibility of movies, especially after watching The High Note. And it's so insincere and oh, so plastic. Well, we also watch a documentary that's only 71 minutes, and I made my daughter watch it with me. It's called Screened Out, and she complained that it was going to be, you're just going to preach to me not to watch enough screens. And yes, that was exactly what it was. <laughs> but the reason we had her watch it is because it's backed up by data, and they made it entertaining. I mean, for 71 minutes to let you know that people are spending too much time on their screens oh. it's it's not just that it's the filmmaker and his wife they have three boys and they're all let's say under the age of 10 and so he they're all trying to stay off their screen his wife couldn't do it she's like i have too much work to do but he's an independent filmmaker so he he could do the experiment and his kids he asked them straight out uh, what would you like mommy and daddy to do instead of being on screens and they said we want you to spend more time with us which is great and they they show the word dopamine is in this movie probably a half or a full dozen times <laughs> because the, every every single one says oh it's dopamine it's dopamine but every time you get a every time your phone goes ding 
you there a shot of dopamine goes off in your head and it it's it's a reward thing and then they said once instagram realized the never-ending uh scroll that's how instagram got popular because it used to be instagram said you're all caught up but now they don't do it. now it's like facebook once facebook bought instagram i don't know if it was because of that because you know you can never get to the end of facebook right but you, you used could. to be able to though like you, you used to you did yeah, I mean, I felt like it, like they would stack your stories in such a way in your mm-hmm. feed that like I would scroll, I would get, I would scroll in the morning, and I'd be, I'd get to because they would sh- do them sequential, right? You're all caught and, up, and I'd get to the kind of where I left off, and I'm like, oh, I'm good. But now it uses this algorithm that's always feeding things in different. Like if you hit refresh, a lot of times you'll just get completely, totally different things in your in your feed, and so. Um, and, and so like, yeah, like you, you don't ever have that moment of like, oh, I've seen all this. You might see things over and over again, but you, but you never just get like, oh, and here from this point on, everything is, is a, is a repeat. Right. That, that's what, that's how Instagram was. You're yeah. all caught up, but now you don't get the, all, you're all caught up anymore. You just yeah. keep seeing older pictures. And it also, I guess it depends on who you're following and everything. Yeah, there's but, probably also so many more people on there now that it's harder to get right. caught up, quote unquote. Well, John right. and John, Twitter. Oh my God, Twitter is such a time suck. I can never get to the end. Everybody. Yeah. Well, John Hyatt, not the independent filmmaker, not the singer songwriter, yeah. uh, but John Hyatt is the director and writer of this film, and he uh, makes a very strong case that. Well, especially the fact once you you remember that all these Silicon Valley guys send their kids to schools that aren't smart schools. They send them all to uh, non-whiteboard schools. They don't give them phones. They don't let them do anything until they're teenagers. So it's very it's he backs it up with a lot of science and a lot of anecdotal evidence that shows that these guys in Silicon Valley know exactly what they're doing yet they're not doing that to their own kids. Right. Interesting. It's called Screened Out. It's only 71 minutes. It, it, it is exactly what my daughter said it was going to be. It was just, it's another, if you show your kids, but it was entertaining. Did she end up enjoying it though, even though she thought she it was did. eating vegetables? She did. It, she did enjoy it because it was, it was entertaining. And I said, did you learn anything? She's like, nothing I didn't already know. I shouldn't be on my phone. So I'm like, <laughs> and that's Don't- not... And that's not how teenagers sound, and that's not how my daughter sounds. But yes. They'll never admit that you're right. True. Which is right. No. I was right. Yeah. Tom, what have you seen while you've been uh, quarantined? Well, uh, so on the the podcast that that I have, the movie-based podcast, what we've been doing is uh, going back, and uh, we've been tackling what we call misbegotten sequels. Uh, and so it's been fun because, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 50, but our listenership is pretty young. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, under 30 and not like we're doing it for kids, but, um, I'm, I'm double checking. I'm loading you up right now with the latest episode to make sure I have the latest from you. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, so there's so many of these sequels out there that these, that the listeners, they didn't even know exist. So we did like the sting two. Um, and then we did, and then, so we started tackling like the sort, the, you know, the original film. And then as a counterpart, it's misbegotten sequel. So we did, uh, 
you know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and then we did Butch and Sundance, the, the early, early days. The early days. A movie so beloved that they get the title wrong on the DVD. Um, <laughs> they actually, on, on the face of the DVD, it says Butch and Sundance, the early years, Oops. instead of the early days. <laughs> but uh, um, it's, and so uh, then we just, this week we did Gremlins 1 and 2. Next week we're going to do... Uh, the yeah. two, the two, Gremlins two is really good. It is it good. Is. It is it good. Is. It's, it's just a very much a tonal shift, and so people didn't know right. what to make of it, and and they waited too long. I mean, the difference between pop culture in 1984 versus 1990 is light years different, even though it's only six years. Yeah, but Joe Dante said, "I'm only going to do this if I can do my do it my way." Yeah, exactly. And he did. And there's a reason he went on to direct Looney Tunes back in action, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> Gremlins 2 is a live action Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh-huh. And parts of it are even a non live action Looney Tune cartoon, literally, right? They Chuck Jones came out of retirement to do some Bugs right. and Daffy title sequence stuff. But uh, um, so uh, we're going to do that. And next week, we're going to do Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers 2000. And there's. Oh, the, all right. I will defend the Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> soundtrack the I've, soundtrack is great i've never seen it and so um, oh this will be my chance to see it. but there's also there's so many sequels out there that i think people don't even know exist so like like did you know that there are two sequels to in the heat of the night starring sydney portier no i know there i knew there was one i knew tibbs mr tibbs yeah there's a third, mr tibbs there's a third one i'm blanking on the name right now but i assure you that there's a third one um and uh and then there's all sorts of like weird made for tv sequels to film so there's like uh like whatever happened to rosemary's baby like that's a real thing yeah but some of those were uh some of those were tv movies right that's what i said made for tv sequels and so um and then there's also weird things like there's a splash two t-o-o and then and which uh i cannot find anywhere all i can find is it's on youtube but it's dubbed entirely in french don't know why uh uh, the third one was the organization. That's it. I knew it had a really bland name, but I couldn't remember specifically. Um, yes. But and yeah, so, two thousand ten. Well, we did. We did two thousand one and two thousand ten. Another movie that I had ne- never actually seen. Really, I never seen twenty ten. So that was that was kind of fun. But well, the thing was, I remember when it came out in what eighty four. Yeah, eighty four. Um, my friends and I all said, "Hey, we're going to go see this." But you know what? We're going to sit at one of our friends that had a home theater. And we watched 2001, and our friend's dad's like, you can skip the first half hour. But we did, and we're like, what the hell is this? And then we went and saw 2010, which has little or nothing to do with 2001. I, I, I think you're maybe misremembering, because, um, because it actually, like, it explains a lot of the stuff from 2001. But it, I, one of the things I found so fascinating is, you know, one of the complaints about 2001 from people that aren't, like, film nerds that just love it. Is, what the hell? Right, so they're not, they don't tell you anything, and you kind of have to figure it out. 2010, I mean, it explains it all, and then, you're, and then when they get done explaining it all, you're kind of like, I think maybe I was better off not having it explained to me. Like, I get why <laughs> they didn't now. But Roy Scheider's character is, is in 2001. It's just, it's been recast right. with Roy Scheider. Right. But, um, uh, and it was, you know, co, co-written by uh, um, our, Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke. Clark. So, I mean, it... It very much is a continuation of the story. It's just, it, it's just not 
one of the greatest films of all time. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, right. you know, like that's a lot, like so many of these movies, these misbegotten sequels, it's kind of funny. Cause it's like, okay. So the sting too is just not very good, but, um, no. but, like, but like Butch and Sundance, the early days, like if you go back and watch it, like it's not a bad movie. It's just not one of the greatest movies of all time. It's just not two of the biggest movie stars of all time. Right. It's, it's is okay. that Tom Berenger and William Cat? And William Cat, yeah. I love William Cat. And, and, yeah. and I mean, it was an enjoyable movie. It just wasn't an all-time it, class. It wasn't Redford no. and it's, it, yeah, right. yeah, or William <laughs> Goldman screenplay. Or, well, and there's a couple. He, there are a couple. He did have a hand in it, which is why we considered it a, a sequel and not because, like, sometimes there are sequels to movies are that are like, but are Blair they really? Witch too. Yeah, but and even then, like I'm thinking more of like anybody can make a Butch and Sundance movie, right? Like they're right. real people. They don't know nobody owns the rights to that. And so so if somebody ma- if somebody else makes a Butch and Sundance movie, is it truly a sequel? But we consider this one a true sequel because William Goldman was an executive producer. He wrote a couple scenes from it, which I think were largely leftover scenes from the first <laughs> one. Um and then uh and then there's one actor that shows back up. Uh, from the first one but uh but yeah so it's it's just fun to find these kind of like forgotten time capsules of movies that they thought were going to be a big well, deal eddie and the cruisers 2 stuff like that well a lot of people are fans of grease 2 grease 2 is beloved by some I and, no, and it should not be but it, no, is. it should not be yeah but a lot of people grew up on grease 2 and they were like grease 2 is a big part of my childhood and i know some of these people and I'm well, like, it used to air on cable like all the time all the time so i think that and if, time bandits yeah so if you liked musicals and you had cable that was your that was something that you would just see over and over again so here's would you like a, a piece of grease 2 trivia you might not know go ahead so grease 2 the plan was that they were gonna make grease 2 and they were gonna make i think two more movies and then spin it off into a tv show which okay. is really like today is is a, a concept we're used to seeing, but in nineteen you know eighty two is mm-hmm. pretty unique. But so Grease two comes out and it's such a turd that they're like we can't do that. But they had already like kind of started the script for Grease three. Just put it in a drawer. Don't need it. Like fifteen years later ish, somebody pulls it out of a drawer, decides they're gonna make it. They're going to update it, but this is going to be the core of their story, and that is where. Hold on, I, hold on a second. Let's do math. So eighty-two plus fifteen. I might be off on my dates a little bit. Oh, so ninety-seven Titanic. No, uh, <laughs> I, maybe I was off on my dates a little bit, but maybe it's twenty. But uh, it's where High School Musical comes from. I was going to guess it. I was yeah. going to guess that. And when you know that and you watch Grease 2, you're just like, sense. you're like, oh my God, this is totally high school music. Yeah, but see, Kenny Ortega made that into something. It, it probably, it, it was just going to be another uh, Disney Disney Channel original movie, but Kenny right. Ortega brought it up here. And as we all know, Zac Efron did not sing a lick in High School Musical 1. Oh, really? I, I've he never seen it. Two and three, he sang. But they overdubbed his voice in one. That's funny. But uh, 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 did um, okay. So Grease two, Michelle Pfeiffer. Who was the guy? Uh, uh, I don't remember. He didn't. Maxwell Caulfield. Yeah, he didn't do much after that. He I think he went back to Australia and did a lot of theater. 
Um, I think he married some older actress. Please say Olivia Newton-John. No, I think it was. I think <laughs> That's it was the guy Juli- who faked his own death. I think it was Juliet Mills' sister to Haley. Oh, okay. I love Haley. No, How weird! And at the time of Grease Two, Michelle Pfeiffer was married to Peter Horton. It was. He is still married to Juliet Mills. Well, good for them. They've been married since nineteen, but he was married to her in nineteen eighty, so that was before this. Okay, that's but okay. Still, be married to somebody forty years later. Mm-hmm. Well done, hat tip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interesting enough, and I did see Zach Efron in person at in front of the Ronnie Cinema for the premiere of Charlie St. Cloud when they gave that date with Zach Efron away, and the girl from St. Louis won. Remember that? Oh, vaguely. Wow. Okay, so I stood there with the press for like three hours waiting for Zach Efron. And I will say he had the most gorgeous blue eyes I have ever <laughs> seen. You put him in the movies for a reason, Lynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and if you saw Neighbors, you know he's well cut. <laughs> so, Tom, tell us a little bit more uh, about the real spoilers about Escape yeah. from L.A. Oh, Escape from L.A. God, I hate that movie. I, uh, um, it's funny because uh, one of the compatriots on the show, uh, Joe, loves Kurt Russell, loves John Carpenter. So this was this was my gift to him. I'm like, let's do Escape from L.A. But, oh, my God, what just so bad. And it's, it's funny because people kind of remember the basketball scene in that movie. Like, that's kind of the remembered as, like, the big giant, like, they really kind of crapped the bed on that one. And, and going back and rewatching, I'm like, wow – there are so many ethically bad decisions that are just as bad, if not worse, that the basketball scene kind of steal, like is becomes the, the target. But like, I totally forgot. There's a scene where he's surfing. Snake Bliskin should not be surfing his no. way to like, I mean, it was. He has no depth perception, first of all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. But, uh, but yeah, like there's a surfing scene. There's a hang glide. Like, I'm just like, what are we doing? And, uh, and I really, I think it was a prime example of a director having too much money. I think it's amazing how much better escape from new york looks on because it was shot here in st louis yeah it was shot here in st louis uh uh but it 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 on like a tenth the budget they gave them like 50 million dollars i think to make escape from la which at the time in what 1997 is that Mm -hmm. when it came out something like that um that's a ton of money and and you could tell it like i think he does better when he's got to come up with creative solutions instead of just like let's go spend a bunch of money on a giant set but uh yeah not a not a fan of that one well um are you still looking for sequels to do and you're not doing ones like scary movie that have like 10 of them or uh, are you just picking them at random uh i mean i have like a list that i've kind of created and so like i like things that are that are like quirky like right like it's not fun to just do like lethal weapon 3 like i like talking about things that maybe people didn't know even existed or Maybe younger people have just completely forgotten the time. Bad News Bears go to Japan. Oh. Stuff like that. But that, um, was, the th- that was the third one. That was the third it? one. Yeah. The yeah. second one's not bad. The second one's not as good as the first one, but the second one's pretty Isn't like I Tony think, Curtis and go to Japan? Yeah. Tony Curtis is, is their sh- adult chaperone and go to right. Japan. Yeah. And, you uh, imagine? Yeah. Well, I remember watching it on like the ABC <laughs> Sunday Night Movie. Yeah, that was a big deal when they would show that back then. I can't even imagine how much they must have edited 
those movies. Well, like you can do Smoking the Bandit three. Or... I, and that is on my list. Smoke the Smoking the Bandit three story is fascinating. Like if you don't know it, I, but, I do know it. Yeah, and, like because Smoking the Bandit was actually on Sundance Channel last night. And oh, okay. We turned, and we turned on we turned it off to watch Creed again. Yeah, it was supposed to be Smoky. Uh, it was supposed Smokey to be is, is the bandit, the and the, and for years this was like people didn't even know if this was real or if it was apocryphal until somebody turned up a trailer that had never been released uh-huh. for Smokey is the bandit, and like they couldn't get Burt Reynolds back, so the whole thing was it was going to be Jackie Gleason has to dress up as the bandit, and now he's the guy driving the car across the country, and then I guess they screen tested it, and people were like, that's a big giant turd. Nobody's going to want to see this. And so and they didn't. No one and, wanted to see it. And so then they, they brought in uh, uh, Jerry Reed yes. to play Snowman. Mm-hmm. And, and they put him in the car. And then, and then they went back to having uh, Jackie Gleason's character, Buford T. Justice. Right? Bu- Buford T. Justice. Buford T. Justice, yes. Uh, chasing him. And, but they, I don't know that it really refilmed a whole lot. So, like, it's all no. through the, the magic and that's in air quotes. You can't tell because it's a podcast, but, it, yes. but the, the magic of editing. And so the film is borderline nonsensical. <laughs> well, there, there, is a, there is the Reynolds cameo at the very and end there's for a, like yeah. eight seconds. I mean, just like you can tell they caught him in between. Can you do this? Like now they would do this on your phone. Totally. Like, I mean, <laughs> it was, you could tell, like it must have been a favor to Jerry Reed. That's the only right. thing I can think because he's in it for like two tenths of a second and and it's don't a they, dream sequence. It's fuzzy. I was like, is don't they have them in like? It's been a long time since I've seen it, but don't they have them in like this, like the 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 kind of the cheesecloth yes lens that they used to use for aging actresses? Yeah, like yeah, the Elizabeth Taylor filter, right? For in a, in a white diamonds commercial. <laughs> That's a wonderful <laughs> Saturday Night Live bit. Oh yes. my god! I think they used it on Goldie Hawn on uh, in Entertainment Tonight or segment train, that I when, saw last train night. Wreck? Now, now, are you looking at uh, Son of the Mask or Speed 2, Cruise Control, or Under Siege 2? Oh, uh, I have Speed 2 on the list. I have not thought about Son of the Mask. Um, so Jamie, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. So, but and uh, Caddyshack 2 also sucks. Hey, you yes. got Honey, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids? Uh, that, that was that's, – that's not bad enough to be unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like i said i like the ones that were just like major right missteps right. Or just like kind of like what were they thinking why, why did, did they, they do this yeah. it's like speed two cruise control right. totally well, they were because, thinking cash grab well also that's it wasn't fair to anybody no it, it wasn't fair to sandra bullock and you know how i feel about her it wasn't <laughs> fair to jason patrick and it's not and keanu made the best decision yeah right Speaking of Keanu, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the sequel, is actually better than Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Are you sure about that? (laughs) You're just saying that because of Max von Sydow. And and also, I still don't know how they're going to explain for the third one that they're doing. They might have actually finished it. They they did. It was supposed to come out in August. It's probably going to go straight to streaming now. But how are they going to explain... George Carlin's absence. I mean, he was, you can't, he can't be dead. I think they <laughs> recast him. Did they, is, is Christian Shaw in it maybe? I thought it was somebody like that. Wow. I could, yeah, be, I'm yeah. totally winging. I read it at some point and I'm blanking on it. 
Okay. Well, when when I interviewed Alex Winter at the St. Louis International Film Festival yeah, a couple did. years we ago, know. <laughs> um, he um he said that his kids actually think Bogus Journey is the better one. <laughs> Bill's okay. kids. You can say yeah. that. Yeah, I'm just saying they can still be wrong. <laughs> yeah, just because they say it doesn't mean it's true. I know. <laughs> DVD releases are this week new, The Invisible Man, which I still haven't seen. Which you guys oh, probably saw. Yeah. So I think it's good. I like it's Elizabeth Moss. So so good. It's and and you know what? I know they've been struggling with how to handle the Universal Monster franchise. And uh and I know a lot of like diehard Universal Monster fans were really given this one side eye because it was kind of such a reimagining. But uh I think a lot of them came around on it because it's so good. And it's it's really less of a horror movie than it is a psychological thriller that uses horror, you know, this, this classic horror concept as a jumping off point. And it is just so good. Uh, well, if it wasn't it. for this, I think the, I don't think they would have announced Ryan Gosling because the universal monster universe was effectively dead, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, aren't oh. they handed off to Blumhouse? Isn't that the, the you I know, think so. and, and I think that's the, that's the secret, like make these on the cheap. I, I think people forget that, those original Universal Monster movies were, they were B movies. They, they were cheap. And so, some of them, you know, might have been elevated by, you know, because the quality was there, but but they were cheap, low budget movies that happened to, you know, mm-hmm. be boxing above their, their weight class. But uh, I, I think, you know, give Blumhouse, Blumhouse's track record is so good. Um, yep. And get, let him run with a five or $10 million budget. So if, if, if his idea is too out there, it, it nobody's going to take a big, you know, punch to the nuts and like, <laughs> like let them, like let them swing for the fences, and especially after seeing Invisible Woman, like, and his Halloween reboot, I thought was great. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I didn't know. So, he's not- they're, yeah. They're going to have two and three coming up. Those. Yeah. Those ones. Yeah. So well, Gosling's going to be a good Wolfman, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I will clap hands for that Wolfman. <laughs> yeah, well, the the mummy was one of the single. It was one of the only movies I've given an F to this decade. And it was on the other day. It was on. It was it was on like during the day. I'm like, why is this on? And Russell Crowe doing the whole Jekyll and Hyde thing. I mean, that just sunk that franchise reboot well, they should have had years? him in that movie in such a prominent role if they were yeah. going to roll him out roll him out do take a cue from marvel and just and, don't make him a major character and that's the problem everybody you know wants that the next marvel and the, but they want it right now and they don't realize how long marvel took to build to what they have and you can't make two movies and all of a sudden be there we're there yeah, and and you know so many of these movies, and I complain about this with all the all the DC comic book movies. And I'm a comic book guy. I prefer DC characters to Marvel characters, to be perfectly honest. But their movies are awful, and it's because they're always so concerned about the next movie or the next three movies that they don't focus on making the movie that they're on. And so there's, it's just so focused on putting the pieces in the place so they can make eight other movies and spin-off franchises that they forget to like actually tell the story that they're telling right now. Are you excited for the Snyder cut? No. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably watch it and I'm not against it. Like, okay, whatever. And, but, it, but does it need to be four hours? 
I mean, probably not, but it sounds like they're going to release it more as a television show. Right. And I think, you know, and I know people have been saying for years that like, you know, oh, the Snyder Cut, you know, is out there and they're taking this as proof that it's out there. But I'm like, if you have to spend 20 to $30 million to complete it, it wasn't out there. Right. Like they're, you know, like you, you weren't close to done. That's a lot of money. And so, um, so I, I mean, like it, it probably might, wasn't color corrected and all the sure, graphics yeah. and special effects weren't ready. My and guess yet. is 70 to 80% of it was done. Cause you could tell watching it that it's two different movies that they've assembled because yes. it goes from like, you know, this kind of what Zack Snyder to this kind of like funny haha stuff that makes no well, sense. Well, the Wonder Woman stuff, the Wonder Woman bank thing's all Joss. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and I, and I don't even dislike either part of it. It's just when you put it together that it didn't make a lot of sense. So I, like I said, I, I like those, I, I like those characters. I'll give it a shot because I already have HBO Max. And if it's on there, I guess I'll watch it. But I'm not like, oh, my God, I can't wait. I can wait. Well, speaking um, I, of, uh, speaking of, oh, Max? Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the other DVD that you? Yeah, love? real. Oh, yeah, let's do that real fast. Uh, Once we're brothers, the band and Robbie Robertson, or Robbie Robertson and the band, which I enjoyed immensely. And I, if you're a music guy, especially, it brings back a lot of the how how influential they were at the time. Uh, it's but Robbie a, Robertson's not. The band is more than Robbie Robertson. Yeah, I thought that title was a little odd myself. <laughs> well, I think they did it because so many of them are fighting and did, and a couple of them didn't participate in this. Right. That's why. But I do, I mean, it is his perspective. So right. take it for what it's worth. But I do think uh, it's good for, for context. Well, like some of them are dead. I mean, and... Right. Yeah. Poor Leon. Well... I don't know. Levon, I mean, did I right, say Levon? And Rick, Rick Danko's dead too, isn't he? Yeah. So, I know when this movie came out, you were very gung-ho about it. I just think it's uh, one guy trying to get... It's it's like the Michael Jordan documentary. And you keep hearing things about it right now, but the band was more than just Robbie Robertson. It was right. the band. Does Dylan, right. Does Dylan talk in it at all? No. Okay, that, so, that might be for the best. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And they, right. they, they meant, I mean, he, he's very prominent in the well, film. Of course, he, he has to be. Yeah. They do have some good talking heads. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I just I liked remembering it. all of that period because I think it's easy to forget yeah. their mm -hmm. place in that spectrum. Absolutely. So I so enjoyed now let's it. Talk about, let's, let's talk about HBO Max. Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday, I turned it on. It's uh, it's a lot. It is a lot on HBO Max. And once my daughter found the Studio Ghibli and the Crunchyroll, we were done with HBO Max, and we were just on Crunchyroll and Studio Ghibli for the next two hours. There yeah, are twenty Studio Ghibli films. Yeah, there's and, tons of anime on there. Right, and we watched uh, we watched something on Crunchyroll that is a series that they're actually making a live film version of um, it's about young girls who are drawing manga. And so she's like, we're watching this and what's it called? Um, keep your hands off of a Japanese word. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> Cause I have a stepdaughter. That's really good artist and loves. She is. Oh, I yeah. 
saw and, what you posted. Yeah. And so I, you know, I'll have to point that one out to her then because I think she would really like that. Keep your hands off Izukin. Okay. E-I-Z-O-U-K-E-N. We watched two episodes of it. It's, it's well done. And I, and she's like, they're making a live version of this, but Corona stopped that. But speaking of the whole media experience, as we were talking about before, they made a six episode TV show to lead into the movie that was based off of the manga, which had an anime and it's Japanese. They, they did it right. And they were patient. It's like a snake eating its own tail. Exactly. Or a dragon. Well, what I, what I was shocked at um, HBO Max, because I'm a HBO subscriber that I had a like enter it. It was like, it wasn't automatic. You have the to enter HBO. your direct. You have to enter your Directv code. Uh, it's like with AT and T, uh, UVerse, Directv, Dish Network. You still have to plug in what you were already paying. They just need to know you're paying. Yeah. Right. Right. I I had it through Prime, and so I had to go and cancel HBO Prime, and then, uh, or not cancel go? Prime, but can't. I yeah, whatever it was called through there. Go or now. It was one of their channels on Prime, and I just did it that way. And then okay. so I had to cancel that and then subscribe direct, and it's, like, baked into my TV now. So, okay. yeah. But it was but, $3 a month cheaper that way, so. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of stuff on there. There I is. Am, I, am, I was impressed. Not, not Disney Plus impressed, because their originals are kind of weak. I, I have been overwhelmed with Disney Plus's originals for the most part. Besides, well, ask Forky a question the behind the scenes stuff yeah. and then, and then Mandalorian and the yeah. Jeff Goldblum stuff and some of the stuff that they're moving, like this was originally on uh, Nat Geo, but now it's going to be on Disney plus. They're shuffling a lot of things on there. Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I can spend all day on the Pixar channel on Disney. Well, plus. you know, on HBO max, like they've got the Looney Tunes channel. So they got like, um, like tons of Looney Tunes stuff on there. So that's really cool. Johnny quest is on there. As our friend Kevin Brackett said, they, in the new Looney Tunes, they they rip on Disney, no. and they made they made Mickey and Minnie foxes, and so that's they they're prominent in there. So it's that's a dig at Disney, but they have a whole bunch of uh, people were complaining that Friends is on there, but Joey is not. I'm like, well, who wants to watch Joey? Yeah, but you know what? I, I think a lot of people want to watch Joey because they didn't watch it at the time and they love friends and you want to, you just want to, if you've never seen it, there's a curiosity factor in the same way that like Amazon, uh, no Hulu has mash on there, but they don't have aftermath. After mash. I would love to go back and revisit after mash. Like I watched it in real time as it aired, but like I haven't seen it since I would love to watch it again. So I, I yeah. Clamor. Clamor. Yeah, they should absolutely put Joey on there. That's the beauty of these streaming platforms is you can put those obscure pieces of pop culture out there so people can finally see them. More little known sequels. Exactly. People forget them. People yeah, forget there's about them. so many like little, they, you, I, don't get me started on sitcoms. Did you know that there was like a make room for granddaddy? Like that's yeah. a real thing. Like they mm -hmm. did so many weird things. Like people think that this whole rebooting things is new. And I'm like, no. you know how many times they rebooted the honeymooners? Like, come on. Right. Like the Flintstones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but actually the Honeymooners. Like, oh, right, right. Because yeah. they had different actresses. Yeah. Time. Like they were doing episodes of the Honeymooners up into the 70s. So like, no, like they're, you know, how many Gunsmoke movies there were. They were making Gunsmoke movies into the late 90s. Or at Columbo. Columbo was made. I think the last Columbo came out in 2000. 
It was uh, so well, up until Peter Falk died, they were making them. They were trying to get one more made before he died. It's just like a like a farewell. Like that last episode of TV movie of Columbo was so recent that one of the smaller parts is played by uh, Jorge Garcia from Lost. Wow. Yeah. Who, like, who was just in? He was just in that David Spade Adam Sandler movie, uh, The Wrong Missy. Oh, okay. really? Well, yes, he was in he was he was in Hawaii Five O when it first rebooted. Yeah, he really? was it for yeah for the first few. Seasons. He and Jin, he and yeah. Jin. I call them I call them their lost names. I don't call them their real names. <laughs> that, I'll be like Sawyer's okay. on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, stuff like people real remember Barney Miller, but then Fish had his own Fish. sitcom. Yeah, like he lasted the season. Did it go two maybe? I but, I don't remember. Yeah, you had a young Todd Bridges on. That's where he got his first big role. And then Dave Vagoda. People yeah. forget that Benson was a spinoff spin of, soap. of soap. Yeah. And our Happy Days was a spinoff of Love American style. Which begat Joni Loves Chachi, which begat Laverne and Shirley, which begat Mork and Mindy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's all there was a there was another spinoff about an angel. It was supposed to be like Mork and Mindy, but with an angel. And they only last like two or three two or three episodes but, but yeah. the king is all in the family because all in the family had everything that was jefferson's and maud maud uh, and then good times good, good times and then there were i think it was oh and archie bunker's place there's archie bunker's place and then there was uh flow had a uh, not flow mix my shows uh, uh alice for flow was alice yeah flow um, was alice uh, which was based on martin scorsese's uh, movie but <laughs> The great Marla, Alfred Lutter. The yeah. great Alfred Lutter. Don't Marla, Marla Gibbs' character uh, had a spinoff Probably. called Checking In that lasted Whoa. like like three or four episodes. And then she actually had it written into her contract because she didn't want to do it. She had it written into her contract that the show gets canceled and she gets to go back to the Jeffersons. And so she didn't lose her job. And it got canceled and they, they hired a new maid and then that maid got fired and Marla Gibbs got her job back. So good nice. thinking Marla Gibbs. But uh, but there was also a spinoff for Gloria from All in the Family. Yes, Gloria. Her and I think Burgess Meredith was a veterinarian and she was a vet tech yeah, and, or something. And I think, uh, and then like she and Michael got divorced. Yeah, she and Michael got divorced. And then there was... Um, and that's only because Rob, uh, Rob, uh, <laughs> Rob Schneider. That's only because... Uh, Rob Reiner didn't want to do it. Yeah, he wanted to go direct movies. He made the right call. Um, and then there was actually uh, an All in the Family uh, spinoff in the 90s uh, called, do you remember this? You might remember this? Maybe. Who it was, was it? It was called, uh, it was, I forget what the exact name of it was. It's the, it's the address of where the bunkers live. So it was like, okay. it was like 214 Hauser or something like that. And uh, Was that and, the one with, uh, no, never mind. It is, no, you're fine. It starred John Amos. And and the 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 wait a minute, but that's 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 also the snake eating itself because he right, was the dad John, on Good Time, John and Amos then they was, killed him off for a contract dispute. Yeah, so um, but John Amos, it was so the the hook of the show was supposed to be that the bunkers move out and a black family buys their house, <gasps> and and that the the dad is basically the black version of Archie Bunker, so he's he's very opinionated and racist, but against white people and. And then, you know, hilarity would ensue, but it didn't, didn't uh -huh. take off. Would you like to know the backstory behind the John Amos getting killed off a of Good Times episode? Yeah. He so, wanted more money, didn't he? Let me back. I, the, the, that's not the, the version I want to tell. So let me back up a little bit. Okay. So there was a period where Carol O'Connor wanted more money to do All in the Family, right? And, and, uh, and so he was holding out for more money. And so he misses like four or five episodes. It's around the fourth or fifth season. 
he misses like four or five episodes because he's holding out for more money. And they keep sending him scripts and then he doesn't show up. So they have to give his lines for other people, figure out ways to rewrite him. So they finally sent him a script that he's not in. And it's called Archie Dies. And, <laughs> and in this script, Archie dies off camera. And they're basically just like, we're going to plow ahead without you. Go to hell. And that basically broke the log jam. He came Wait a back. minute here. He came back and then everything was okay. That script was then tweaked and used when they killed off. Eat it. They no when they when they killed off John Amos's character on Good oh, Times. Gotcha. That's that they 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 adapted it for Good Times, but used that the 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 core of that script for the the death of John Amos when he, when he got in a contract dispute. They're like, well, it's right there, so. Uh, it was called 704 Hauser. There we go. And, and Joey Stivic actually makes a cameo in the first one. But Mara Tierney was in the first. It was only on for five episodes. They made yeah. six. And uh, the, uh, another spinoff of all these spinoffs was Mad Magazine was, making fun, was doing a parody of Archie Bunker's place. And they had Edith come in as a ghost saying, what are you doing? And the writers wrote Mad Magazine and said, this was actually a script. We were going to try to bring Edith back and oh. she was going to do it. And then it was in Mad Magazine and they're like, well, we can't do it now because Mad <laughs> Magazine, because she was going to, Edith was going to haunt Archie for like a Christmas episode. And once it was in Mad Magazine, they couldn't bring her back. <laughs> That's great. Because I love that. Yeah, that's and that awesome. is good. Uh, backtracking to Gary Marshall, if you haven't seen that special they did on him, ABC, I'm sure it's on demand. It's called Happy Days Later or something. And it goes through his whole career, the movies and the TV shows. And you forget what it was like to see Robin Williams on TV the first yeah. time. Oh, my God. He was insane. And, a good and they, talk, they talk about that. They said... Uh, uh, Henry Winkler and Ron Howard are just like, when he was on set, everybody just looked at each other and went, oh my God. And it then- was so manic. Oh, and then when Pam Dauber talks about how she signed on to play Mindy, she said, Gary called her and said, well, this guy, he doesn't really follow the script. And so just to make her aware of, this is what you're getting into here. Yeah, going to be there, and they had originally know. cast John Biner to play that role. I love John Biner, and uh, bizarre. And he, he couldn't get a handle on it, and was just like, "I can't do it." And then they were trying to find people to come in and take over because they had started filming, and nobody wanted to touch it because it was just so out there. And then finally, somebody was like, "You know, I saw this street performer." <laughs> it was Gary Marshall's sister because yeah. they tell the story in this special. They say. Uh, that uh, Gary Marshall's uh, sister saw Robin Williams on a San Francisco street. Yeah. And he's like, so a guy on the street corner you want to hire? And she said, well, his, like his, his donation box or whatever she called it. She goes, it was really full. <laughs> <laughs> so, but can you imagine? That's yeah. how, yeah, that's how just, just the, 
the beauty of that and just oh my god and nobody had ever seen anything like it no i think his his debut and bruce willis in moonlighting are two of the biggest breakout ever on tv yeah and eddie murphy when he got promoted to full-fledged cast member on snl yes yeah and then michael j fox on on family ties yeah when they always, started doing it more about Alex, and then yeah. everybody was like, "Whoa!" Yeah, I um, I, yeah, I always say that scene in Forty Eight Hours where he goes into the the country bar and pretends to be a police officer. Yeah, it's, it's like there's there's a few times in cinema. There's not many, but there's a few times in cinema where somebody walks into a scene, an actor, and walks out a movie star. Like you don't see it very often. Uh -huh. Normally it's a slow build to movie star, but every once in a while. And like, to me, that's one of those scenes where he walked into that. It's like the guy from SNL and he walked out a GD movie star. Like yes. that seems so good. <laughs> and right. we would have seen him tour this year. Absolutely. We should talk, yeah. We should talk about that sometime. Like people who all of a sudden you see on screen and then yeah. they, uh, Edward Norton in Primal Fear. Yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon in Revolutionary Road had yes. one scene yeah. and that made his whole career. He'd have won an Oscar if it hadn't been for Heath Ledger, I think. Probably. Yeah. Uh, Lynn, speaking yeah. of streaming stuff, yeah. what the hell, why is everyone hating Space Force? Okay, so I'm in my third episode right now, and I'll tell you right now, it's flat. It doesn't hold up. What they're mocking is really going on <laughs> <laughs> but they have all this wasted talent. They have all these great people and it's too busy. It's too many people. It's too disjointed. They're moving. They go off on these tangents and they don't follow through. For instance, Lisa Kudrow, the great Lisa Kudrow is Steve Carell's wife. She was he on HBO's this, uh, The Comeback. That's oh, a which, show. Oh, so good. She's so good in that. She, did she win an Emmy for that? I know she was nominated. She won an Emmy for Friends. For the, the, and she won an Emmy for the web series that she did, too, where she was the psychiatrist. I know that. Okay. Well, she won an Emmy uh, for Friends the year she was pregnant with her brother's twins, Giovanna Ribisi's. Oh, you and mean... Not twins, triplets. Was, right, but on the show, in real life, she was pregnant with her own child. So... Yeah. Getting back to this, she plays Steve Carell's wife. Steve Carell has just been made four-star general, and they're going to make him in charge of Space Force, so they have to move to Colorado. So she cries and cries and cries that she has to move from D.C. to Colorado. You don't see her again till he goes to a prison to visit her in her orange jumpsuit. And she says, now you know I'm going to be here a very long time, so if you want to go find somebody else, go ahead. No indication of why she is in an orange jumpsuit. I'm in third episode and I don't know what happened. <laughs> so why is his wife there. in prison? So he's raising the kid, which is obnoxious, bratty, all the stuff, whatever. So uh, the, the, the chiefs of staff, the joint chiefs of staff, they have Patrick Warburton. Nice. Comic Gold. Right. They have uh, Noah, and I forgot his name. He's a major character in this. He and Steve Carell have a horrible rivalry. 
And uh, there's somebody else that's a sitcom star that's one of the joint chiefs. So they have all that going on. And then they have the actual Space Force in Colorado. They're going to launch a rocket. John Malkovich is Steve Carell's civilian chief. I can't make, they argue about who's in charge. Is it Malkovich or is it Carell? But Malkovich Noah, is- Noah Emmerich. Yeah, Noah Emmerich. I, oh, I Ben Schwartz say, from, uh, Ben Schwartz from uh, Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. He has a, a obnoxious part. Well, he, 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 he is on uh, Parks and Rec too. Yeah. But yeah. he's a, he's also in that uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix with the the uh, John Mulvaney, right? No, no, no. This is the Middle Ditch and Schwartz is them doing improv, a comedy special on improv. Oh yeah, yeah. the Silicon Valley dude, Thomas yeah. Middle Ditch. Okay, so so um, Ben Schwartz is Steve Carell's social media advisor, and he comes up with these awful tweets that don't make any sense to do for. Steve Carell and Steve Carell fires him, but he keeps showing up. So there's all these people coming in and out. There's all this calamity because obviously they're all inept and they're spending thousands of dollars on space force. And I right now am in the episode where they're presenting the budget to Congress. Uh, and, and so they are in front and they have a, Nancy Pelosi knockoff. They have an Angela Cortez, Casio Cortez. AOC. AOC knockoff. They have somebody like that. So they're going through the budget right now. And the girl that's playing the, the AOC part holds up an orange and goes, you know how much this costs to transport into space? She goes, $10,000. And everybody's like, ooh. And so they're getting reamed over. Why, it, why are you spending all this money on the Space Force? So that's where I'm at right now. <sighs> There's a Russian guy that the daughter is dating just to get back at Steve Carell. There's uh, people coming in and out. There's a chimpanzee in space that I, I, is supposed to be a photo op. What? All I've heard is it's not funny. It has a few moments. I'll just say that. There are some decent moments. I think we'd be better off watching episodes of Johnny Quest on HBO. <laughs> but, but then again, I also heard from people that said it was better than Avenue 5. And Avenue 5 was more, the story was funny and not necessarily a whole bunch of jokes. And... I stuck with Avenue Five through the entire season. I and I don't know if I will pick it up again next season, but um, I don't know if I want to invest in Space Force. I, I haven't heard enough about it that has turned me on, and I like almost everybody that's on it and in it, and who is a part of the creative team on it. It's just not selling me on it. Well, I will say sometimes it takes. Uh shows like this a little bit of time to find their sea legs because i mean you know those first couple episodes of the office were pretty wonky right the first the first six of of uh parks and rec were pretty rough until they did a soft reboot and, right. and then it kind of got up and running but when you're it's easier to make those adjustments on a network show where you're in production while you're airing but here you, you can't make those adjustments until the next season and that might be 18 months from now like it's a little rougher well yeah and also the problem with the first season of The Office is they were just taking the British scripts and they're just changing them. 
Yeah, that and, first that pilot episode is like line for line the first episode of the British Office, and then they were like, "This isn't working," and then they started to yeah make some adjustments. Well, they started to get uh, more in the personal lives of the characters rather than, yeah. and they realized who was a breakout star, and made things better. Yes, yeah, this absolutely. you can't do. Yeah, but you think they would have learned from those mistakes because it's Steve Carell and Greg Daniels from The Office. Yeah, but there's just only so much of that you could do until you get in there and start doing it. You know what I mean? Let's, you know, it's it's hard, especially with this type of humor because so much of it is kind of, you know, they have the framework, but there's still a lot of improv involved. Yeah, yeah, and, I think they, yeah. Well, you can't you can't do anything anymore with Fred Willard now because he's passed. Yeah. He is hilarious in it. He plays Steve's dad, who's uh, uh, in a, ho a home, has a caretaker. He has dementia and says, blurts out, also has no filter anymore, and just blurts out things. And his and then their kids. That's another thing. They have so many tangents here. It's just they needed to focus on a few people. Yeah. All right, Lynn. What's going on with Artists United tonight? Or Art tonight. On for St. Louis, there's about 15 arts groups. Well, there's more than 15 arts groups going in on this. Uh, it's hosted by Opera Theater St. Louis, but it's also through the Regional Arts Commission. They're going to have a fundraiser for the Arts Relief Fund, and it is a telecast or I guess Zoomcast <laughs> virtual virtual show tonight. It's going to be on HEC, Facebook, YouTube. And uh, I would think Opera Theater's website. Perhaps. I heard the I heard the director of Opera Theater St. Louis on um, uh, the classical music station 107.3, which is also uh, 96.3-2 on HD. But we actually still have a classical music station and say the classic 107.3. Yeah, Jim, uh, yeah, Jim Doyle. Jim Doyle does mornings on there, mm -hmm. and I heard them talking with their afternoon guy about it and it sounds like it's going to be these things are always difficult <laughs> but i like what the muni's done with theirs and i think this is going to be as an, as entertaining as that right there's going to be a st louis shakespeare festival which by the way they're doing a, a he thing he was also for, on the radio on classic 99 talking about because that. they're doing their shake 20 right now instead of being in shakespeare glenn doing much of much ado about nothing which they're not, they're taking their uh, virtual Shakespeare festival every year called Shake 38, which theater companies reimagine a portion of a Shakespeare play. And these are 20 to 30 se uh, minute segments every night till June 20th. Wow. And so it's local groups presenting like Macbeth, As You Like It, Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, et cetera, et cetera. Just parts of it in their own way and I've been watching a lot of these live over the years and they always do very fresh unique things so you can watch it so they're involved tonight Shakespeare Festival St. Louis Tennessee Williams Festival St. Louis the Big Muddy Dance Company uh, the Muni Stages St. Louis all sorts of groups are involved in this tonight so who knows what's going to happen but it is a it's a benefit because the artists are really hurting right now. Nobody's working. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not yeah. going, we're not going out. 
Tell and if you can't, me. yeah, if you can't see it tonight at seven o'clock, then it'll be on these sites for you to watch at another time. The Muni's been doing this live cast party every Monday and it's been fun. I don't know. Have you been watching it? I watched one of them. Yes. Yeah. So they get the cast from last year. The Muni is making their announcement June 8th, but I think we all know what it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Tom, without saying anything that uh, is proprietary, when do you think, since you book and basically run the family arena, when do you think things are going to start to become not normal because that's not a thing. Yeah. When, when do you think, when do you think you're going to not, not necessarily you, when do you think there will be events again that even limited amount of people can go to? I think that uh, you're going to see most of the major tours right now are just pushing to 2021. Like right. they, they're just not even making an effort to, to schedule anything before the end of the year. Cause it's so dicey. Um, so I, I think, you know, whenever things start back up, I think you're going to have a, a gap of there'll be, um, you know, national tours announced, but maybe we're, we're open before those hit. And so you'll have to fill in with other smaller things, more local based entertainment. So, you know, locally, you probably see lots of tribute bands, stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but, you know, honestly, I, beyond that, I have no idea right now, the way things are progressing, I'd be surprised if a lot of the 2021 stuff happens. Um, it wow. just, and I, and I've got nothing industry to tell me that I'm just, just me right. watching the news, like a regular person. Like it doesn't seem like we're doing anything to get this under control. And there's so many people that aren't taking it seriously that, that just, you know, it's, it's like when you, you know, this is like when you were in grade school and the teacher's like, you know, we're not going to go off a recess until everybody sits here and doesn't talk for two minutes. And there's always that one a-hole that can't make it two minutes. And now none of us get to have recess. And that's what we got going on. <laughs> and I think me. it's, yeah, I think it's going to be a while before we have recess. I, you know, and, good analogy, and, good yeah, analogy there. Unless they find a vaccine, but then again, you know, so many of the people, that don't want to wear a mask are probably the same people that are going to tell you vaccines out to kill you. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like if you hate science so much, throw away your cell phone, man. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I know well, I've given up listening to anti-science people. So yeah. Just me. Yes. But also uh, the anti-vaxxers will be the first one. My government better give me my vaccine <laughs> or give me my stimulus check. Yeah. Everybody yeah. cashed that, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, it was direct deposited, young lady. Yeah, I know. Not for everybody. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. So, Tom, what I loved on Real Spoilers, you guys numbered them all the way up to 500, and then you just stopped numbering them. Yes. Because you didn't care anymore, or was it a No, pain? It's, it's more there was uh, – there's some uh, Apple podcast algorithm stuff that – made us believe that numbers got it suppressed some. And so we went ahead and, and dropped the number. We also felt like maybe some people were intimidated by the number. Like, Ooh, they've done 500. You know, like almost like, well, I know what's going on, even though we're not like a story-based podcast. Right. And so, um, so we just kind of quietly dropped the numbers. But, but you did, you waited till you like hit 500. And then yes. Well, a 500 is kind of a milestone. We wanted yes, it to is. proclaim yeah, uh, it. <laughs> we've been doing this now for what, 65 weeks now, Lynn? Yeah, 65. We're, nice. it, we're as old as, we're as old as uh, my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, Tom, besides normally we would see you at the family arena. In fact, a lot of the shows that we talked about, the, the Pat Oswald, the Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Um, uh, where can we find you on social? You can find me uh, on social media, uh, on Twitter at Roger Kubert or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tom O'Keefe. Lynn, where can we find you, young lady? I have my own website, poplifestl.com, and I'm with Ray Hartman every Thursday night, KTRS, in the 1030 half hour. And I am also, for now, in the Webster Kirkwood Times Online, my print reviews. You can find me lurking on Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern and on Instagram because I'm really not – I mostly posted sports stuff and there aren't any sports right now. And you know that at the Family Arena too. Yes, I do. You don't yes, have do. any sporting events there. We do not. No, no ambush, no Shriner Circus, no – Nothing. Oh, the building's closed. Yeah. Well, I will say I did go out this weekend real fast. I did go to the Fountain on Locust – pickle pop-up on friday i grabbed my dinner and i went to forest park and i sat by my friend my late friend's tree and i listened to hamilton and dear evan hansen because i think at this time i'm just going to say this about the arts the arts tend to um, be a healing factor and also illuminate things going on in the world and give it historical contents and also present new ideas. And so Hamilton, I've been listening to the soundtrack the last couple of days, the world turned upside down, but revolution is trying to forge our country, the miracle and the promise of America. And it has given me a, a great hope. I hope. And then Dear Evan Hansen, just because it's about the human connection, which right now we all desperately need in this isolation and this time of quarantine and this time of divisiveness. And so if you need some comfort, I think it's good to go to the arts. and Sincerely me. That was my Dear Evan Hansen. I'll cut that out. All right. right. Everybody stay safe. Be strong, wear a mask, wash your hands. Social distance. Social distance. Bye. And be kind. Oh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.